to A Texan's View of the World with your host, Jeb Bashaw. Good afternoon. This is Jeb Bashaw. This is my podcast, A Texan's View of the World. Delighted to be with you this afternoon. Hot day in Houston, Texas. We've been living through torrential rains, and now we're getting into the uh, dog days of the summer. But uh, to brighten the day, we have a guest in the studio today, the lovely, you've heard me talk about her before, Miss uh, Laurel Bashaw. Laurel, welcome. Thanks, Jeb. It's wonderful to be here with you. Delighted to have you here. One of the things you and I have talked about over and over, and obviously one of the reasons I fell in love with you is your commitment to our community. And we've been talking about this, and I want to talk about kind of where we are in the world in philanthropy since COVID. I know it kind of put everything on hold for 18 months for a lot of our local charities. And so that's our topic today. But before we get started, why don't you kind of give everybody a little background on what you've done philanthropically in terms of helping local organizations raise funds? Sure, I would be delighted to. I'm Laurel Bashaw. I have spent the last probably 35, 38 years in some form or fashion in the nonprofit philanthropy volunteer world, and that has been a big part of my life and my upbringing. Uh, most recently, I uh, had a short stint at uh, an arts organization. Before that, I was with a nonprofit that I loved and will always be dear to my heart uh, for about 30 years as a volunteer and then eventually came on staff as their development and then senior development director. And prior to that was at another organization. Do you want me to say the names of these organizations? Sure, if you like, that'd be great. Great. So as my official career started with an organization called The Seniors Place, which evolved into Amazing Place, which is an adult day center for early onset Alzheimer dementia. And that was near and dear to my heart because my grandmother, who lived with us the last part of her life, had dementia, Alzheimer's. And so it was wonderful to work with an organization that was really caring for the needs of elderly people kind of in their last best days. And then worked at Casa de Esperanza de los Niños, which is a children's nonprofit that takes care of children birth to six years old that have been abused, abandoned, neglected and either work, you know, work to try to reunite them with their birth parent or a family member, or if not, then to a permanent forever home. And the second part of that organization that I love so much too was a program that was within Casa de Esperanza called the Hands of Hope Internship Program. And those were recent college graduates that had graduated from all over the United States and sometimes internationally and served a gap year at Casa de Esperanza, serving as a parent basically in the home there were 10 homes where uh, up to four interns live per home, taking care of children 24-7 as a real parent, uh, up to about four to five children per house, which was remarkable to watch. Fantastic. Yeah, those kids have done a great job out there, and it's just nice to, I mean, you, you can't staff that out. You've got to have almost one child per uh, adult, and uh, they've done a great job over there. So you talked a little bit about your grandmother. That was certainly something that drove you. What was I mean, have you always been called to service? or what? I know you. Uh, we've been friends a long time before we were married, so uh, I know you were involved years ago um, with the Red Cross. It sounds like you've been doing stuff your whole life. So, and I'll uh, get back to my grandmother. She was the probably influencer for sure in my life. That um, I remember her. She was a single mom, uh, widowed, and my mom was a young girl. And when she came to live with us, she, you know, until her last year, she was soaking i remember her i don't remember who it went to but soaking stamps off envelopes and <laughs> turning them in for money to nonprofits, and with whatever she had left she was always giving back and i um i definitely think a lot of my formative years just watching her always give back and just the joy that she received of doing for others was a big part of my life and so uh she would when she lived with us there were four of us growing up and she would ask us at the, the dinner table 
what was your high of the day? What was your low of the day? And what was your good deed of the day? And that always stuck with me. What is your good deed of the day? Certainly all of us can do one good deed of the day. And if you think that in the back of your mind, it's a pretty nice way to end your day. Absolutely. Well, you uh, came from Chicago, as you said. Um, Houston's clearly a charitable town. Do you do you think other towns are as charitable as we are here? Or do you think it's uh, something in the water here with Texans? I do think you know, universally, there's a lot of great people doing a lot of great work in many different organizations. But Houston is definitely very special. I've, I mean, you whether it's for a nonprofit or we have a crisis like Hurricane Harvey, people really are, you know, a community oriented, come together, want to help each other. I feel the good thing, feel good about helping each other. And it's very unique to watch just the constant goodness in this wonderful town. Well, I agree with you since it's my hometown and I, it's amazing how the city has grown and we seem to grow with it. Um, we, the Royal We, meaning the folks that live here and we support the organizations that are near and dear to our hearts. And and Jeff, uh, just because I didn't grow up here, I mean, certainly Houston is my home. So Of course it is. You got here as fast as you could. <laughs> exactly. I agree. Well, let's talk about, you know, you said things that we've had happen to us and clearly um, we do live <laughs> Uh, below ground here, I think sometimes with all the rain we've had, but um, most recently we had the COVID crisis. So um, you've got your own consulting firm, LRB Consulting. Tell me, tell me what you're talking to clients about in terms of how they kind of restart the project, because I think most folks have been kind of off the uh, off the beaten path the last 18 months in terms of fundraising. Well, yes and no. I mean, I think that people that are committed to certain organizations, usually, you know, some people have their pet, you know, favorite project they work on. COVID, I mean, the nonprofits did not know that COVID happened. They still were fighting their charity every single day of the week, whether COVID was there or not. So thankfully, people were still there supporting them. I think when you say coming back, what do I say to not do? Don't say, I mean, I I am not a big person on the cry for help, darkest hour. We've all been through COVID. We've, you know, either personally have know somebody that had it, change, you know, jobs were affected by it. and yes, the nonprofits were affected, of course, too, and donor giving. But I don't think coming back out of COVID, just saying darkest hour, darkest hour, we had the hardest time. We've all been through a hard time. So we get that. Tell me what you're going to do now going forward. Tell me how you're going to get past it. I am a big believer that donors want to support a winner. They want to support a thriving, flourishing, positive um and people in you know, organizations that have a plan to move forward out of a crisis as opposed to we need money because we went through COVID. Well, mm. that could be everybody then. Well, and as you've talked about many times, sustainability is a big thing. So I think if, so. If you couldn't sustain yourself during this crisis, then maybe you need the organization needs to do a 360 about themselves anyway. Right. But. And that's why, you know, you hopefully have a good board and you have um, committed volunteers and committed donors that when you are in a crisis, you can reach out to a few people, maybe individually or your board to look for that kind of support. But I think overall, you can't just throw out a blanket, darkest hour, darkest hour, and expect everybody to come running. Well, I'm just thinking about your background, what you've done. Obviously, there's two things that kind of diverged in this last uh, 12 to 15 months. One would be an organization, maybe a performing arts organization. They were unable to have performances, so that clearly ate into their income. And then you had somebody like maybe like Catholic Charities who really had to change. Uh, pe- the poor, people didn't get quit getting poor. In fact, Correct. some of them got more poor, and they had to change, kind of uh, revamp what they were doing. So once you talk about, first of all, talk about how you see things coming back to life in terms of the performing arts, and then we'll talk about other charitable uh, efforts here. 
Well, I mean, I think we're all starting to experience uh, a bit of the masks are coming off and you are starting to see dates on calendars. And, I, you know, Jeb and I go to New York. It used to be our tradition to go to New York the first weekend in December every year. And obviously we did not do that last year. But I you know it's an announcement that New York is looking like they're going to have Broadway. September, we're starting to see venues here in Houston ready to set dates and open up. So I think that's positive. I think they're going to, there's going to be a, there's going to be a little period of time where there'll be some that are, you know, leery or wearied about coming back out and being in a big crowd. But I think for the most part, we're all ready to kind of be back and amongst the going out, living and seeing a show and being with our friends. And I agree. I think people uh, just, if you look at the traffic on the streets, amen. it looks like people are back out there. So they also forgot how to drive over the last 18 months. So um, one of the things that's coming back to, obviously we have a new administration and, um, the Biden administration. So, oh, we're gonna of, get political. There's a lot of. We're not gonna get political. We're just gonna <laughs> talk about how the world's changed. Um, and one of the things that they're talking about is tax uh, changes to raising the higher uh, on taxes on the wealthy. How do you think tax policy affects giving by people who are naturally philanthropic? Well, you know, you and I talk about this all the time. I think when you start crippling businesses and people that you know, I think people forget. They're like, oh, well, these big companies aren't paying. As much in taxes. Well, they forget that, oh, these people are also the people that are supplying all these jobs. You know, I jokes on the side, how many poor people are providing jobs? None. So we do look to companies and people that are making money to also hopefully give back philanthropically. So if you start making that harder for people to do that, I think it's tough. One thing I have always prided myself in and I will always do is only work for organizations that are privately funded and not government funded. I don't, um, for me personally, don't like to work with an organization that is so tied to government funding because at any day that can be ripped out from underneath you and then where do you go? Um, development for me really is about relationships and those kind of commitments so that when you do have a maybe a downturn or a COVID or a hurricane that you have people because you have built a relationship with a company, an organization, an individual, uh, even volunteers to call on when you need help. That is so much more important to me. But yes, I think that it's going to affect giving. Um, I hate to see that, but I hope that people will still find a way to carve out a portion of their blessings and gifts to give back because for those that you know have jobs and have roofs over our head, we are fortunate. We are lucky, and there are people that are just less fortunate. Agreed. Well, the stock market's at a historical high, almost 35000 on the Dow. Uh, do you think uh, because of that, maybe the pending law, tax law changes, more folks will be donating stock? Or do you, I know a lot of these a lot of these particular folks that you support, they have an annual giving program or they have a monthly giving program. You and I give to um, a couple of charities on a monthly basis, including Loving Choice, where you were uh, interviewed today on another radio station. Um, do you see uh, – how do you feel that – do you think that's going to change or – you think people are just, in, you know, they're just philanthropic and I don't think it's going to change. I think, you know, your pocket, your heart doesn't change. Um, if you have a giving philanthropic heart, your heart's going to stay that way. It might be affected, but you might change the way you give. You might give more stock or you might do more of a monthly donation as opposed to a one lump sum just so you have it spaced out. I think there's all kinds of opportunities Good. to still keep giving. Well, recently you co-chaired the Catholic Charities Gala. And, uh, I that... did. I had a great uh, other co-chair. I think his name was Jeb Bashoff. He did a great job. I think I know that guy. Anyway, uh, <laughs> enough about me. Let's talk about you. So uh, that was what's called a hybrid event. So part of the people were there. Part of the people were still, uh, I guess, zooming socially in. distant, zooming in. Uh, what was that like? And 
and, and how much money did y'all raise? Well, we raised uh, a little over six hundred, about six hundred fifty thousand dollars. We were the longest serving gala chairs. We were actually supposed to chair that event a year ago, and then that got postponed, obviously because of COVID, and pushed to another event. So we were two year gala chairs. I thought for a luncheon, six hundred fifty thousand dollars was fantastic. Um, Catholic Charities is a wonderful organization. We also honored the Strake Foundation, which the Strake family is very near and dear to our hearts, which is, you know, two good reasons, Catholic Charities and the Strake Foundation, which prompted us to immediately say, yes, we would be happy to be the chairs for that event. I thought it worked out well. I think the people that were comfortable and ready to be back in person, we had about 200 people gathered for lunch, and I think we had another 150 people that zoomed in or watched on a TV link um, and we were able to have a, you know, a live auction, which was kind of nice for people. And again, I think people are ready to be back out and start giving again and realize the world is going on. Great. So um, coming out of COVID, we talked about it at the, at the outset, we'll, we'll kind of wrap it up with that. What do you, what do you, if you, you know, as a consultant talking to charitable foundations, charitable giving, what are you telling clients and people that ask you about, you know, what do we do? Uh, 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 you think we're still going to be event driven? Do you think they need to just go back out originally and, and talk to, and retouch if they hadn't been doing that during COVID and then talk about that? Or what are you seeing in terms well, of Well, I think it's driven? multiple things. Again, I think you have to go back and talk about your organization, you know, from the heart. Why are you passionate about it? Why do you need help? And don't say just because of COVID. You know, what is your, you know, be mission focused. Don't get off track on your mission. Say mission focused. People are Happy to give permission if they understand what you're asking for. Um, I think that events will are starting to come back. You know, we, you and I have attended a few, and people seem to be ready to be out and about. I think foundations, which we haven't really touched on, um, there are a lot of family foundations in Houston that are very philanthropic and. I'll jump back a little bit. Don't just start writing grants to foundations because there's a foundation that gives money. Make sure you do. I think some people make the mistake thinking, well, so-and-so has money. Yes, but if your organization is not something that they support, don't waste their time and don't waste your time, especially don't waste their time. You don't want to have a bad reputation of going to organizations that don't fund the kind of special needs or special causes that you're supporting. But I do think granting money is still out there. It's you know it's been invested for a long time. So right now the market is like you said, great. So those funds should be available. Um, make sure you have a good grant writer and a good grant researcher before you apply to a foundation. Uh, I think again, again, just just your donors. You know, I was hoping during this whole time people are cultivating their donors and talking to them and telling what you're doing during COVID. How are you surviving? Um, send updates. I'm also another big, my takeaway, you know, I do this all the time is don't make everything an ask. Sometimes just send an update or, you know, be interested in your donors and know if you see an article in the paper or found something that you know that they love personally, touch base with them. Hey, I saw this and thought about you so that you don't feel like you're always just being called on to write a check. I think you kind of miss or lose some of your donors that way. Agreed. Well, what's on the horizon for you? What are you sharing next? <laughs> you're so funny. So the next... <laughs> official uh, gala that I am co-chairing, I always like to have a co-chair, is the uh, Salvation Army Women's uh, Luncheon next year. And I'm helping with a dear family friends. Um, it's not really a, actually an event, but we're trying to do a 
one year anniversary celebration of a dear friend who you did a great podcast for, Barry Wren of Luther Hill. It was a wonderful organization that we're trying to hopefully have a named uh, Where's Luther Hill? Where are they located? They are in LaGrange, just kind of like outside our ranch, but it's a beautiful property. And so we're going to try to raise some money to have a prop, uh, building named after our dear friend, Barry Wren. So those are some big ones, but I serve on the board um, at Summer House, and I'm on the Nick Finnegan Counseling Center, and so doing some work for them. I just recently became a Lions Club member out of Giddings, which I'm wow. pretty excited about, and then Camp for All, which has also been a great organization and near to my heart. Well, I hope to see you again soon. I know. <laughs> Sounds like you got a lot going on. This retirement thing is not for you know just babies. you got to keep going. To quote Vincent Gambino, thank you, Miss <laughs> Bashaw, for being here. You was- have been lovely. You've been a lovely, lovely witness. <laughs> Thank you for coming in. Uh, this is Jeff Bashaw. This is my podcast. We had uh, with us today in studio Laurel Bashaw, the uh, founder of LRB Consulting, a consultant organization for uh, philanthropic organizations and for charities here in Houston, and I guess not just in Houston, but elsewhere, Texas and beyond, and uh, just talking about what's going on. So uh, we talk about this a lot, uh, shop local, give local. We hope that uh, you will reach out to those uh, organizations that you feel some kinship with uh, and continue to support them financially because COVID has been rough on everybody, and this is a great opportunity to uh, show our affection for those organizations. Again, this is Jeb Bashaw. This is my podcast, and thank you for being with us, A Texan's View of the World.